Thanks for listening to Adopted Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nelson, and today we've got a very special guest with us for an interview. We have Daniel Ritchie. He is the author of My Affliction for His Glory. He is a traveling speaker, and he's got an awesome story that we're going to find out about today. Daniel, how are you doing? Doing good, man. It's a... Uh, it's... Dude, we're like a power duet uh, of having two Daniels going on on, on the podcast. So this uh, this should be fun. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Why are you on this podcast? You know, you know, uh, the 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 second part of that question. I don't know, man. I, I guess uh, I, I, I guess I must have uh, uh, I must have spent a good bit of time with you, man. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know your family. So I think uh, at this point we're like family friends. So that's that's probably one of the reasons why I'm on the podcast. But um, no, man. Uh, for me, I'm I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, like you said, I'm I'm an evangelist and speaker and author. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess my role is to support the local church in, in so many ways. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, and, and I think even even more importantly is uh, I'm, a, I'm a husband to my wife, Heather. Um, I have two awesome kiddos, a nine-year-old boy, um, a six-year-old little girl, and uh, in me and just being able to hang out with them, love them, lead them, man, that's definitely uh, that's my sweet spot for sure. And that that's definitely, I, I think, um, one of the things I look forward to most day to day. So, uh, that, you know, beyond, beyond that, uh, casual reader, uh, big football fan, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I don't live the most exciting life. I'm kind of a big nerd. Uh, but, but yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. You know, I think your life is a little bit more exciting, exciting than most of ours. Um, <laughs> Most of us cannot operate, you know, chainsaws in general, but you can operate chainsaws without arms. You know, I think that is, I don't know that I would have tried that. <laughs> you know, it's probably, a, it, it's probably a very stupid, like future decision when you're missing two limbs and you're like, yeah, let me pick up this giant machine that can cut off another Um, But, you know, man, for me, it's just like, I've, I've really... Uh, I've spent my entire life trying to live in such a way that even though I might not have um, as many limbs as everybody else does, you know, to your point, it's like not having arms. I don't want that to limit just just the life that I get to enjoy and, and just to enjoy the grace that God has given me. And so sometimes it means doing things that some people think might be more difficult, you know, or more complicated uh, but for me, man, using using my feet to accomplish everyday tasks, I've done it my whole life. So I think in, in a lot of ways, it really is second nature. I don't I don't think about it too much, but I probably should have thought about it a little more when it came to the chainsaw thing. That's for sure. <laughs> so a question for you I have is how is your view of your disability um, being born with only your legs? How's that changed over time? Yeah, um, you know, I, I would probably say for the first 15 years of my life, and this is um, before being a Christian, um, I would say my armlessness was the most defining characteristic about me. I mean, clearly from, from the outside perspective, yes. But I would also say it, it defined my identity and my worth and my value, which is it's problematic, uh, you know, for sure, because a lot of times you're only as good 
as how how other people see you. And that can be as good as, oh man, what an inspiration. Or it can be as bad as, you know, how bullies viewed me when I was in middle school or, um, you know, how people would see me when I was out and about just with my family. And so the first 15 years of my life was just really, man, this stinks. Um, I don't feel like God loves me because he, he didn't make me like everybody else. So clearly the, the Lord doesn't like me like he likes you guys. Um and and then too, it was just, I think there was always this insecurity when whenever I went out in public, whenever um, I got around other people, I always felt the staring eyes, I always felt um, just just a big level of, of insecurity in, in this fishbowl sort of, um, I think, perspective of me. But then trusting in Jesus as, as my Lord as a 15-year-old, that changed everything because now I wasn't depending on what other people said about me to give me worth. I was depending on what God had had promised and pronounced from his word that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that I was a, an adopted son, that I was um, someone that the spirit was bringing about um, fruit in my life to make God more known in, in just the way that I love, in the way that I have peace, in the way that I have joy. Um, and so I think just through the work of Christ to realize now that this fishbowl that I live in grants me the opportunity to tell people about a hope that comes from a part of my circumstances. And so uh, what was once viewed as an absolute curse, I think the cool part is now I get to view my disability as a gift just because it allows me the opportunity to interpersonally share Christ with people. But then, I mean, too, it's just like, you know, for, for my ministry as, as a guy who's, who's an evangelist and a speaker, I think much of that is just tied up uh, in, in my story of being fearfully and wonderfully made in a, in a little bit different way than, than most. Yeah, that's awesome. And it raised the question, like, if you were bullied a lot in school, then like, what made you so outgoing, you know, to speaking a lot? <laughs> what led to that, you know? Yeah, man, that's a good question because I still don't like people um, at all. I always, uh, I, I qualify it with, for me now, it's like, I love people um, because of the work of Christ in my in my life, but it's like, I don't like them. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a natural introvert. I, um, I still have anxiety uh, when I get up to preach and speak. I still... I still have anxiety when I go out to the to a restaurant with my wife, just because I know I'm going to get stared at, and I, and I know just just the interactions that come with that. But I think, um, you know, Paul says this, and in, in, I think it's First Corinthians uh, fifteen. He says it's by the grace of God that I am who I am. Because of that, I worked harder than any of them. Just talking about his, his apostles, apostleship, talking about that, you know, because of what God has done, Paul was going to outwork anybody in his life in view of the grace that God had given him. And so for me, as, as a new believer, 15, 16 years old, seeing the grace that, that God had given me, the hope that God had given me, the transformation that I'd seen in my life just by his grace, in, in view of that, I couldn't imagine not wanting to share that with others with every waking moment that I had. And so that was, I think for me, that's the only reason uh, why I'm, I'm in 
such a such a public role. It, it, I mean, it's simply because of I think the the grace of God, the calling of God. Because uh, yeah, if it was up to me, I, sh- I sure wouldn't be doing this. I'd maybe stick to the writing thing, uh, but not necessarily the speaking thing. <laughs> I get that, and so I so you mentioned stairs in public. So this is more of a funnier thing. What is the funniest <laughs> thing you've done to someone who stares at you in public? Oh man, it was, gosh, it was probably eight, 10 years ago now, me and two friends I grew up with, we we try to get together maybe once a year and uh, and catch up. And so we popped into an Applebee's in my hometown. Um, and, uh, and in the lobby, we had a, a rough interaction uh, with, with a bunch of rednecks who were making fun of me. And, um, and so, you know, we, we kind of, we settled down. We're like, oh, we'll just get our seat. We'll never see these guys again. So we go, we sit. And of course the hostess sits these two dudes right across the aisle from us. And so they're, they're right back at it. They're making fun of me talking about my mama. And, um, and so I'm like, fine, I can play your game. And so uh, I very intentionally ordered a uh, full rack of Applebee's ribs um, which uh, for the listeners that have never had the goodness that is Applebee's ribs, they are like the the ooeyest, gooeyest, stickiest, like sauciest uh, slab of meat you've ever had in your life. And so it's just like, man, I just went straight into the ribs, devoured them, you know, each little rib in between my toe. And kind of as I ate along the way, the sauce starts to like drip down like the arch of my foot. There's sauce all over my toes. And so I'm waiting until these two dudes are staring at me again. And then I very slowly look over at them, make eye contact, and then just proceed to like suck the sauce off of all of my toes, lick the sauce off of the arch of my foot. And to watch these two dudes like get very quiet and uh, and still and not say anything else the rest of the night, man, that was a uh, that was very much so worth the uh, the the bath that I gave my my foot for sure. That's hilarious. I just <laughs> knew like sometime in your life you had to done something like a hundred percent, man. I'm I'm a little bit of a prankster, so uh, so yeah that that one, but that one's definitely one of my favorites for sure. So you earlier had mentioned writing. So mm-hmm. I know you wrote written my affliction for his glory. Do you have any more books planned? Yeah, so um, I, I don't know when when this podcast airs, but um, uh, in in February my second book will release called Endure, um, and so this this book is really, I think, just birthed out of the pandemic and just. Um, I think for me, working through the fact that it's like we are just so short-sighted in a lot of ways, because you know, for for a lot of us to have our daily daily rhythms messed up, to um, you know, for some of us to to lose the opportunity to work and to see that it's like, man, my identity's wound up in my job, my identity's wound up in my friend group, my identity's wound up in in traveling stuff like that. I think it's like it it peeled back the layers for me personally that it's like, man, I do look very quickly to the immediate uh, for so much. And and I think realizing that that in the grand scheme of how God works, God does work in the immediate and miraculous, but God also works over the long haul. God works in short, subtle um almost like like he's whittling us like little little shavings little layers at a time is how God works on us and so really for me in this book it's it's to expose I I think just how 
Um, I, I, I label it the microwave mentality, how we're groomed to want everything now. And for us in Christ, how we can over the long haul in just little, little bits, little practical pursuits, how we can start to look more like Jesus and how we can start to make Jesus known uh, just in the everyday rhythms of our life. And so it's just like, how do we build a faith that endures is really the, I, I guess, the whole premise behind the book. Yeah, that's something we definitely need right now, just yeah. with the nature of how phones work. You know, it's instant, you know, instant this, instant that, you know, like even reading like substantive articles, you know, on like Christian <laughs> websites, you know, it's just it's interesting paragraph, interesting paragraph, you know, it's like, yeah. this is not how it should be. But I find myself like, oh, no, you know, then, you know, it's uh, what's interesting about that is I've been I've been writing for Christian websites for about 15 years now. And um, and, and it is interesting when I first started writing, the expectation was about 1500 words. And, uh, and for most of my articles now, it's about 800. And so even, even in 15 years, I think the expectation of people's attention span has almost been cut in half. And so I, I think that's that's very telling of, of how we've been groomed over, over the past uh, decade and a half. It's terrible. And the only long articles <laughs> you see have all of these graphics, you know, yep, yep. it's like either it has to look super pretty or else I can't do it. You know? Yeah, yeah. People, people need like mental breaks just to make it through a two thousand word article. You're right. It's terrible. It's like I want to beat people up for it, but I know I do this too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, man. I think I think we're all guilty of it. So, what does speaking of books? What does this book writing process look like for you? Like, what's the planning stage like? Like, give us an inside look into this. Oh man, yeah, I'm I'm not nearly as uh, as complex as uh, as a lot of guys are. Typically, I'll just take like um, you know once for me, it's just like a book idea will come to me, and then I'll just I'll just start to process through it. And so I'll grab a notebook, and I'll just it, it's just kind of like brain vomit, just whatever comes, I'll scribble it out, and not even in any organized fashion on the front end. Um, and then once I start to see just kind of the the general uh, consensus of what I've got going on, then I'll try to see if I can I can drop it into buckets or chapters. And so I'll make sections in the notebook dedicated to each chapter, and then kind of go through again, just same same deal, just just kind of processing through each chapter, scribbling down ideas, thoughts, quotes, uh, scripture. And then from there, it's like, I've got the bones uh, of what I need. And then, you know, I just slowly but surely start making each, each chapter come to life, just sitting down and typing. And so, um, you know, the, the process on this last book, it was probably from, from the moment I got that notebook in my foot, so to speak, where I was like, okay, this is my idea. This is what I want to roll with to the point where I had submitted my first draft was probably about four months. So kind of just on and off processing thinking writing with lots of lots of ministry and travel when preaching in between yeah and in your new book indoor how much of the focus is on your story versus on the climate of you know coming out of pandemic give us like a overview almost yeah I mean I think like my writing style is um you know I'm not I'm not a super brilliant dude um you know I don't I don't have a master's or a PhD or anything and um and so 
I understand that it's like my story in a lot of ways is kind of my hook. It's it's like the card I can play. And so each chapter will start with a with a quick little story, quick little hook. Um, but then very quickly, I mean, it's just jumping into, all right, how can we very practically live this concept out? Well, you know, each chapter is broken up into like um, just biblical concepts or biblical pursuits like uh, evangelism, discipleship, prayer, um, scripture reading, um, family life, uh, community, stuff like that. And so, you know, in, in view of that, it's like there'll be the hook and then there'll be um, each chapter has about between five to seven just practical points of, hey, here's here's something you can start doing right now in your Christian walk uh, to live this out. And so it's a uh, it's a very fiercely practical book, not super um, theological, at least in terms of like concepts. Um, but I mean, it is very scripturally based for sure. But it's just kind of taking scripture and then walking it out. That's awesome. And that leads into like what authors in particular have shaped your theology the most oh, so man. that you can apply it, you know? Oh, dude, this is like, that's like picking a favorite kid. Um, you know, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I think for me, um, John Piper is, is huge. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he, he's kind of one of those guys where I think, you know, when, once you get to be my age, I think we'll look back and be like, man, that that's wild that we had a had a man like that that was alive during my generation, you know, and that I, that I get to read, that I got to hear teach and preach. Um, I think just the Piper has this way of being able to be just radically deep and profound, but then also make it beautiful and not wordy, not overly complex. Like there's just this simplicity and beauty to the way Piper writes and preaches that, that I love. Um, I, uh, um, I love Matt Chandler. Um, again, I, I think there's, there's like a boldness to him um, that, that I appreciate. There's, um, uh, there, there's this fixation on scripture and the glory of God that it's just like, man, that that's where I am a hundred percent. Um, and then I, I guess a few dead guys that, uh, that, that I like to read, um, John Knox, I'm, uh, I, I'm of Scottish heritage. And, um, and so for, for us Scots, like, we really don't have many guys to, to look back on and be like, oh, yeah, we love Jesus and he was Scottish. Um, but but Knox was one of those guys. And um, and man, again, I, I don't know why I, I just appreciate bold guys who don't mince words. But I mean, that, that was Knox. He very famously uh, he preached with a broadsword uh, when whenever he would go and preach just because he was hated that much in Scotland because Catholics were threatened by him. And so um I don't know. Those three guys are probably uh, if if I'm just pulling a book off the shelf uh, just for fun, it might be one of those three. That's awesome. Yeah, those are all three great guys. Mm. Um, and another question I've got is, do you see yourself remaining as a speaker for the foreseeable future? Um, You know, I think I'll always man, I love to to preach and, and speak. It's just man, it's, it's one of my, one of my great passions. And, and that's why for me in the pandemic, uh, you know, gosh, I didn't get to preach for about seven months. And it's just like, 
oh man, it hurt. You know, it really, really hurt. I wanted to get back to preaching so bad. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say, cause it's like, I know that, you know, I'm in, I'm in my late thirties right now, so I still have plenty of energy, but it's just like, man, the, the travel grind can get to be a lot, you know, the, um, in, in this, in November and December, in like a 45 day stretch, I was gone like 32 days or something like that. And, and it's just, I don't know if I can sustain that, you know, in, in my late fifties, maybe I can by God's grace. Um, but you know, I would love to, um, you know, one of these days just shift my attention toward, um, trying to, trying to advocate for, for people with disabilities, trying to advocate, um, especially for, for the unborn with disabilities. I, I think, um, globally, the view of people with disabilities is, is pretty horrific. Um, you know, most, um, most people with disabilities in, in the third world when they're born are, are typically just discarded and, um, and, or institutionalized like we see a lot in Eastern Europe. Uh, and then, you know, the, the unborn uh, with disabilities, I mean, you're talking, it's, it's the single greatest trigger for, for abortion in the United States. I mean, 60, 66% of kids found in utero with Downs are aborted in the United States. And, and most of Western Europe is worth, or is north of 95% uh, abortion right there. And so, I don't know, man, I, I, I definitely would love to spend a good chunk of my time uh, trying to point people to the fact that it's like, man, kids like me, we're worth it. We're, we're not disposable. We're not afterthoughts. Um, we're, we're image bearers. We're, we're crafted and fashioned by God for a reason. And just because we don't have the, the same abilities or, or the same chromosomes as you, that doesn't make us less of a person. And so um, I would love to turn my attention very much so to that on, on a global scale in the years to come. But, you know, uh, until that day comes, man, I'm going I'm to keep, uh, keep reaching, keep speaking as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And I see this passion for pro-life mm -hmm. uh, movements. Is there anything in particular that sparked this or is it just, you know, a theology that bore itself out, you know? Yeah. I mean, as, as an evangelical believer, um, you know, I've, I've been pro-life for, for 22 years now, you know, ever, ever since I came to Christ, but I was pretty quiet about it uh, for a really long time. And, uh, and you know, uh, your governor, or I guess your former governor at this point, uh, Ralph Northam, a couple of years ago, he, uh, he went on a, uh, on a radio show and he was talking about abortion legislation that was going through the Virginia state legislator. And, um, and in that they were pursuing protections to abort children with disabilities all the way up until point, the point of birth. And even he, he, he laid out this scenario, and I still don't quite understand why he did, um, but uh, but he laid out this scenario in which they wanted to offer up protections, especially for A, children with disabilities, or B, children where the abortion failed and, and the child was still alive. Uh, Governor Northam described that that child could be born, could be kept comfortable, and underneath the protections of this legislation that they could, even, even post-birth, the mother and the doctor could have a conversation of, as to whether the baby should live or die. And, um, and that was, I mean, not, not to make a long story longer, um, but uh, that, that's my story in a nutshell. You know, I, I was born disabled. 
I was born not breathing and the doctor asked my parents, do you want us to let him go? And, um, and, and so I think Northam's words just landed really close to home. And, and I'm sitting here going, man, how many, how many more parents in Virginia are going to be told all the things that their kids will never be? How many kids, their lives are going to be snuffed out because they don't necessarily have what others have? And so truthfully, from that moment on, um, I guess not even realizing it, I, I, I kind of became a, a pro-life advocate because it's like I just very in a, in a reactionary way, I, uh, I shot a video on my phone and posted it on Twitter and dude, it blew up. And, uh, and I mean, in, in just, I think it was a couple of days that that video had spun into me writing an article um, for uh, Fox News opinion. And then uh, <laughs> that same weekend, uh, flying up to New York City and doing an interview on a Fox News show about the sanctity of human life. And, and truthfully, from that moment on, it's just it's just kind of opened up this door for me to speak to the sanctity of human life. And, um, you know, it's it's been a role that I, I did not see coming, uh, you know, even a few years ago when I started this. But it's a role that, I, that I'm incredibly grateful to serve in. Yeah, that's great. And Jesus ministry, like so much of it is helping, you know, the oppressed, mm -hmm. the people who do not have, you know, he came to save the sick, you know, not the healthy. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, the spiritual, you know, people who are burdened by sin, but also throughout his ministry, you know, healing people and, you know, teaching a message, you know, that yeah. especially for believers, you know, help caring for the widows, you know, that was mm -hmm. a big thing in the church. For sure. Uh, and when the church, you know, is not caring for those who need it most, you know, people who literally can't say anything to save themselves, it's literally just up to whoever happens to be carrying them, you know, mm -hmm. and the voices around them that say, you know, we think this baby should go or we think this baby should live, you know, and as Christians, you know, that's really big for us to mm -hmm. stand up and say, you know, that's not okay. That's right. You no, know? that's good. And it's awesome that you're standing up for that. and raising a voice especially as someone who for a lot of people you know would have been someone who said oh you know and it's terrible to say that you know it yeah. just when I said that you know it's like ah. <laughs> you're like I'm a terrible human being uh, so yeah no I, I understand I understand what you're saying no like even just realizing you know like I'm sure I'm glad I was born the parents mm. I was born with because yeah. you know, I was oh, born in a sure. bad situation you know for sure. Yeah. I'm, I mean, to know that, that, you know, my, my parents made a, I think what some people would describe as just a very bold choice. And, uh, and, and for that, I'm thankful. And really, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, and dude, just, absolutely. Yeah. Sharing your story and sharing, you know, what motivates you, you know, it's not mm -hmm. just look how cool I am, but it is look at the glory of God and see what he's done through your life. And it's crazy, really inspiring for all of us to see, you know, your message and to see how we can follow after Christ, no matter where mm. we're at. That's right. That's right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adopted Believers Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out at our website, adoptedbelievers.com for episodes and other resources. And like us on Facebook at Adopted Believers.